Coming up this evening on NTD Business. China's economic woes are fueling concerns of a global recession. Car sales in Shanghai fell 100% last month. Zero cars were sold. Where do you put your money during this time of financial chaos when there doesn't seem to be any safe haven to explore? McDonald's exiting Russia after three decades, so with the conflict in Ukraine. It's now selling its Russian business. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Looks like the Twitter deal could be in trouble. Elon Musk hinted again today he's not convinced that over 95% of Twitter users are real people, not fake accounts. Twitter's CEO insisted today that less than 5% of active accounts are fake, at least by his best estimates. But he also thinks nobody would be allowed to verify those estimates because that would involve sharing sensitive Twitter data externally. Elon Musk wasn't happy to hear that. He asked, so how do advertisers know what they're getting for their money? This is fundamental to the financial health of Twitter. That comment is significant because there is reportedly a clause in the agreement that allows Musk to pull out of the deal if he discovers Twitter has underestimated the number of fake accounts, and this is important, if the inaccuracy would have a material adverse effect on the company. But even if it turned out the majority of Twitter active users were fake, it still likely wouldn't give Musk an out. According to Bloomberg's Matt Levine, he says a deal-killing discovery would need to cut Twitter's long-term profitability by 40%, and the case would probably end up in court, too. But investors seem worried. Twitter shares are down 7% today. They're now cheaper than when Musk started buying. That means the market feels a lot less confident that this deal will close. And the former CEO of Goldman Sachs is telling you to prepare for a recession. In an interview with CBS's Face the Nation, he said it's certainly a very, very high-risk factor. He says the Fed has tools to deal with it, but it's hard to see the impact right away. Here's the clip. Yeah. It's definitely a risk. If I were running a big company, I would be very prepared for it. If I was a consumer, I'd be prepared for it. But it's not baked in the cake. He also says we're much better off right now than we were in 2008. Unlike last time, he says the financial system isn't impaired, the consumer starting off from a stronger level, and some of the issues will go away as lockdowns in China end or the war in Ukraine ends. But China's lockdowns aren't going away, it seems. It's taking a serious toll on the economy. Shanghai reported a stunning 100% drop in car sales in April. Shanghai's Automobile Sales Association says not a single car was sold the entire month, Almost all dealerships in the city were closed. The figures are a stark contrast to April 2021, where over 26,000 cars were sold. Indiristan Ma is more. A 100% drop in car sales in Shanghai is the zero-COVID policy's latest impact on China's economy. This policy led to the closure of factories, a slowdown economic activity, and a disrupted supply chains. A number of news outlets are now reporting on concerns whether China's economic downturn will cause a global recession. Ethan Yang, political scientist and economic analyst at the American Institute for Economic Research, says that the worries may be slightly exaggerated. In the sense that I don't really see China playing as much as a role as most people might be worried about. I don't think that a recession in China and only China uh, would create a global recession. 
Yang says China is just one piece of the puzzle. Other factors like rising interest rates in the U.S. and the conflict in Europe should also be considered when talking about a global recession. So what people are worried about is not just China's economy, but they're also looking at Europe and the U.S. for what's basically a perfect storm of rising interest rates in the U.S. and a war in Europe. And so people are, I think most people are worried about that. Those three things, China, Europe, and the U.S., both having independent problems could cause a global recession. But on the other hand, it would be a different story if China expands its lockdowns from Shanghai to the entire country. If China does this, it could single-handedly cause a global recession. If they apply the zero-COVID strategy for months on end, and it continues to spread not just in Shanghai and Xi'an, but to other parts of the country, then you might be having uh, what might be a catastrophic meltdown in the Chinese economy, and that might push the world into a recession. The key word here, though, is might. It would still be a toss-up, even if China has a catastrophic meltdown. But again, I think you need to look at other countries, uh, not just China. I think if it's only China that's having problems, then you have uh, slower growth, but not a, to not a recession, in the sense that China does poorly. That makes things less comfortable around the world in terms of prices and supply chains. But by and large, the rest of the world might be okay. But that's, that's assuming the other two things go fine. If the two other things go well, meaning the U.S. can contain inflation and Europe can contain the war, then Yang says China's COVID lockdowns alone likely won't put the world into a recession. Don Ma, NTD News. And some of America's top companies paid their CEOs record compensation last year, according to New Wall Street Journal analysis. The generous payouts are mostly down to strong profits and stock performance. The best-paid CEO was Peter Kern from travel site Expedia, followed by David Zaslav from Warner Brothers Discovery and Bill McDermott from software firm ServiceNow. Apple's Tim Cook and J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon rounded out the top five. The chief execs received an average pay package worth $14.7 million last year. That's a 12% jump from the year before. But a big part of that was stocks or stock options. Now, with the recent market sell-off, it's hard to know if those are still worth just as much. And today on Wall Street, markets kind of mixed. The Dow rose 27 points, less than one-tenth of a percent. S&P fell 16 points, four-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 142 points, one and two-tenths of a percent. Spirit Airlines rallied 14% after JetBlue launched a hostile takeover bid for the carrier. JetBlue shares slipped, though, 6%, while shares of rival bidder Frontier gained almost 6 JetBlue is offering Spirit shareholders $30 per share, much higher than Frontier's $22 per share. Keep you updated. And usually when the market isn't looking too hot or is too volatile, people put their money into other things like bonds or gold or crypto. But with those also underperforming, investors are maybe staying put or hoarding cash. Anthony Sean Marshall explores. The S&P is down. Gold is down. Crypto is down. Even bonds aren't doing well. What's a good place to park your money during this financial chaos? If you're a long-term investor and you want to grow your capital, there's hardly any places any better than the public stock markets. George C. is the chairman of Annandale Capital. C. believes some form of active management is wise. You have to be fundamentally driven. You have to look at businesses that are going to be sustainable. Cash flow is going to be king. Don Kaufman is co-founder of Theotrade, an online education service. Kaufman advises doing this during a period of great volatility. Stocks that have been 
decimated, just decimated, may actually hold some opportunities. Another area, real estate. I keep my money in real estate all the time. And the main reason is I make money in both the up and down markets. Steve Davis is the CEO of Total Wealth Academy, a real estate education platform. Davis says people should invest for cash flow, not asset appreciation. This is what he did in 2008 with his 4,000 apartment units. When the crash came, my property dropped in value 30%. I don't care, because guess what? My $80,000 a month was still coming in, and in fact, it went up because everybody was moving to apartments. Meanwhile, many are choosing not to invest at all. There's so much uncertainty in the market um, based, you know, because of inflation, because of the Fed, because of higher rates, that there's just, there's just a lot of nerves. Greg Swenson is a founding partner at merchant banking firm Brig McAdams. Swenson says investor sentiment has really depreciated. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And the IRS is under fire for destroying 30 million tax documents in March of last year. It's according to the agency's watchdog. The reason? The IRS was too backlogged with paper filings and it couldn't process all that paperwork. The tax community isn't too happy about it. Many are worried the IRS won't be able to verify returns. And that could trigger more error notices. But the agency says, don't worry. It won't affect taxpayers. It says 99% of the documents were already processed. IRS blames the issue on outdated technology. It says it plans to process all paper information returns received in 2021 and 2022. Now with us live is America's accountant, Dan Geltrude, Managing Director of Geltrude & Company. Dan, great to see you as always. It must be extra important for anyone who did a paper filed return to keep copies of their supporting documents now, right? Uh, no question about it. Look, the IRS is supposed to maintain copies of this information as support for what you filed on your tax return. Now, of course, it's much easier for that to happen when everything is done electronically. When you have paper filing, uh, that becomes more challenging in terms of how do you store all this information? And, and the IRS, by its own admission, is saying, hey, look, we have some significant technology challenges. So you know what? We have to get rid of all this paper. What do you think? You think do away with paper filings altogether, Dan? Yeah, I think over time, as technology does advance, even for the IRS, we are going to get to a point where everything is going to be electronically filed. There's no other way to do it. And the fact that the IRS is, still has that type of system in place, it's really a scary thought. What's taking them so long to modernize this? Well, the IRS has really gone through some significant challenges related to funding. They have a lot fewer employees, and they haven't done anything with their technology to get up to speed. On top of that, during the pandemic, the IRS was the one charged with handling all of the checks that had to go out, whether it was PPP or individual checks to people. So they literally just didn't have enough people, and they were working remotely, which they were not prepared to do. The Biden administration did plan to give them more money. Was that going to the right areas? Well, you know what happened there? There was a lot of pushback because anytime you're talking about giving the IRS more money, well, voters look at that and say, well, we're not so keen on the IRS having more money and more resources to take our dollars. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that they can't do their job. And that's problematic for everyone. Why? Because they can't ensure that everyone is paying what they're supposed to pay. When that happens, it really does hurt all of us. So uh, the Biden administration was not able to get that funding through so far. We're told about backlogs all the time. Are you saying we should expect them for the foreseeable future? Well, let's hope not now that we're coming out of the pandemic that ultimately the IRS is going to be able to catch up at least to a reasonable level. However, I think the the fallout from the pandemic, meaning how far how far they've fallen behind, well, it's going to take some time to be able to catch up and again, they need funding to put new technology in place. I think finally, Dan, on this specific issue with destroying the documents, anything else Americans should know before we let you go? Well, look, I think, as, as we pointed out when we first started, is that it is your responsibility as a taxpayer to maintain your documents. Because even if the IRS doesn't have the documents, they turn around and say to you, you need to provide those documents to us it is your obligation to be able to do so. So the burden of proof is on the taxpayer, not on the IRS. That's a great reminder. America's accountant, Dan Geltrude. Really appreciate it, Dan. Take care. Thank you, Paul. And a pilot shortage is hurting the airline industry. Doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. Tens of thousands of pilots may be needed over the next decade alone. In the Deuce Quarter, the details. The United States is being confronted with one of the worst pilot shortages in its history. Fewer pilots means higher prices for plane tickets, affecting the consumer. But why are we seeing this shortage right now? According to an expert, the problem has been building up for years now. The aviation industry has been booming since the 80s, but fewer pilots have been getting hired. One reason is far fewer Air Force pilots switch to commercial after their service. Well, the, the Air Force has gotten a lot smaller after the end of the Cold War, and we just haven't had a military that large to provide that ready pool of, of pilots in quite some time. So the problem was slowly growing, but it accelerated drastically in recent months. During the shutdown, global air travel dropped about 90% as a re result of COVID, and many of those pilots went and found employment elsewhere. Now that we're seeing air travel recover, the airlines are struggling to recruit those pilots back. He says many pilots switched to cargo planes, which were still operating normally during the lockdowns. So airlines now have to hire them back. Whether they come back might depend on financial incentives, but not only. The surety or the, how comfortable they are that, that they're going to have long-term employment. But getting out of this shortage might take time. Noletti says, according to industry data, over 60,000 pilots might be needed over the next 10 years. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And it's not just airlines. Pizza places are facing a worker shortage, too. That means your favorite pizza place may take longer to deliver your order as a result. Let's hope it's not cold. Domino's says delivery sales in the U.S. fell by nearly 11% during the first three months of 2022 compared to the same time last year. Pizza Hut likewise saw same-store sales in the U.S. drop 6% in the first quarter. Officials say it's linked to delivery concerns. The obvious answer to this issue is hire more drivers, but the U.S. jobs market yet to recover from the COVID pandemic, and not as many people are applying for these positions. 
Rising gas prices don't help. And America's biggest employer is taking this worker shortage matter into its own hands. Walmart is planning to offer fresh out-of-college grads the opportunity to become a manager within two years and the chance to make $210,000 in salary. The new program is called College to Career. It will be offered to top performers who have graduated college in the past 12 months. Applicants who get selected will start off at a newly created position called Emerging Coaches to make $65,000 a year with the chance to move up to manager within just a couple of years, something that used to take many years of experience on the retail floor. 200K after two years, not bad for college grad, and it comes as no surprise that managers are also getting creative in retaining and attracting talent. There's a new leadership style that's getting popular with a focus on empathy and compassion. Didis Filzo is more. When it comes to management styles, is it better to be feared or to be loved? Traditional business models have always favored the former, a no-nonsense, getting-things-done attitude. But now, a new leadership style is emerging. There are so many ways to lead, and I think that empathetic, compassionate leadership is one of those trends that companies are trying to adopt, especially with younger workers. Denise Graziano is the CEO at Graziano Associates, where she helps Fortune 100 firms build teams and attract top talent. The best way for leaders to approach multi-generations of workers is to do so with a bit of a hybrid leadership approach. That means incorporating the new style with empathy, but also keeping some of the traditional management styles too. The type of workers have changed. The, the age of the workforce is, in some cases, five different generations of workers under one corporate roof. So you have to have that ability to nuance how you lead. Around 4.5 Americans quit their jobs in March. That's the 10th month in a row where that number has topped 4 million workers. We are living in what's called the Great Resignation. People are leaving their jobs, and it's never been harder to keep talent. Uni Turatini is a human connections expert. She says this new leadership style is necessary. Culture of connection and belonging, where people feel that they have a sense of community at work, and they are actually really happy to go to work, you get more productive people. You get people who are less sick and who are also more willing to help and contribute and to really give their best at every single moment. As of March, there are over 11 million job openings across the U.S. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And Uber Eats is launching two different autonomous delivery programs in Santa Monica and West Hollywood, California. Sidewalk Robotics, made by Serve Robotics for short-range deliveries with easy hands-off and autonomous vehicles by Motional that offer long-distance deliveries. The vehicles in both services are actively monitored by human operators. Anthony reached out to Uber for comment on possible threats to Uber drivers' jobs. They said these pilots will initially be small and they do not anticipate discernible impacts to the marketplace or courier earnings, but they will be actively monitoring relevant metrics. Serve Robotics told us today that they announced they'd be announcing a partnership with Chili's Restaurant and that if you live in a major U.S. city, you'll be able to see delivery robots rolling down the sidewalk within the next two to three years. <laughs> Looks friendly. And McDonald's is now leaving Russia for good. It's over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, of course. Instead, today it started the process of selling its Russian business, and that includes over 800 restaurants, which employ over 60 
5,000 people. The burger chain said staying in Russia is no longer tenable nor consistent with McDonald's values. Once the sale is final, its restaurants say they will be de-arched. That means they can't use the McDonald's name, logo, or menu. Senator Venera for McDonald's, it was the first American fast food chain to open in the Soviet Union in Moscow over 30 years ago. Now, leaving Russia will cost the company up to $1.4 billion. McDonald's says it'll pay its Russian workers until the deal closes. And French automaker Renault is also quitting Russia. It's a big deal because Russia is the carmaker's second most important market behind France. Renault will sell its assets worth over $2 billion to Moscow City. Moscow's mayor says the city will take over the plant and will resume production of passenger cars under an old Soviet-era brand. Renault says it has the option to buy back its interest within six years. And in lush fields southwest of Paris, farmers are joining Europe's fight to free itself from Russian gas. They'll soon turn to a new facility where crops and agricultural waste are mashed up and fermented to produce biogas. The news Andrew Thomas is more. The European Biogas Association says an investment of around $87 billion would produce a tenfold increase in biomethane production by 2030. At current market prices, that's less than the EU's 27 nations pay annually for Russian natural gas, and could replace about a fifth of what the bloc imported from Russia last year. That is a machine for making gas. It's as though we left something in the fridge that was fermenting in a Tupperware box. When you open it, it goes poof. Only here, we don't open it. We collect the gas that comes from the fermentation. The farmers around the Paris region village of Saint-Champ feel their new gas plant will do its bit to untie Europe from the Kremlin. The gas from their plant could meet the needs of 2,000 homes. It will be purified into biomethane and injected into a pipeline to the nearby town of Rambouillet, heating its hospital, swimming pool, and homes. In the current context, I think there's a very good future for the biogas industry in France. We'll see projects being developed. If we want to consume renewable energy and to avoid the flows and contribution of Russian gas, we don't really have a choice. We have to find alternative solutions. Like in the rest of Europe, the production of biomethane in France is still small, but it's booming. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, stay with us. The FDA issues a warning to parents about gummies that are meant for adults and they're dangerous for children. An 11-year-old boy becomes a photography sensation, taking quirky and creative pictures of tourists in Bolivia. That and more coming up on NTD Business. back. With marijuana legal in many places, the FDA issued a warning about a growing danger to children on Friday. Edibles, which often look like popular candies and cereals, might be enticing to kids, but they should not eat them. 
The THC-infused products have caused serious symptoms like hallucinations, rapid heart rate, and vomiting in young children. FDA reports many kids have even been hospitalized. Since the beginning of last year, public health officials have logged more than 100 adverse events from edibles with THC. So if a child has consumed an edible called poison control before any symptoms appear. And you can now order more free at-home COVID-19 tests. The program allows three orders of at-home test kits at 16 tests total per residential address. Government first started offering the free at-home tests in January. They announced a second round available to be shipped out in March. Now a third round of free at-home COVID-19 tests are available for order. Every home in the United States is eligible. Just go online to covid.gov to get yours. And as the summer movie season gets going, which movies won the top five this weekend? We have the countdown. Mrs. Wang. Hello. Everything Everywhere All at Once continues its run at fifth place with $3.3 million. Where's Poppy? She has no aim without sight if she's like the rest of us. The remake of Stephen King's Firestarter failed to ignite the box office, bringing in $3.8 million on the low end of industry predictions. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 stayed in third place on ticket sales of $4.6 million, and the bad guys made off with second and $6.9 million. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness held on to number one for a second weekend with $61 million. Follow-up visits to the Doctor did see a less-than-magical 67% drop in ticket sales over its debut weekend. The Marvel Adventures box office totals are now at $292 million domestic and $688 million worldwide. And at one of the top tourist attractions in Bolivia, an 11-year-old boy has become a photography sensation taking quirky and creative pictures of tourists with a little help from a blue plastic dinosaur toy. And the Andrew Thomas is more. Peter Condori makes use of an unusual trick of perspective on the iconic salt flats where the even white ground stretches to the horizon. In his free time on the weekend, he takes photos of the Spinosaurus appearing to chase and attack tourists across the white plains. Kondori said this helps get him extra pocket money to help his parents buy food, which has gotten pricier amid high inflation. I help my mother to buy onions, potatoes, and lettuce. I buy clothes for my brothers and toys. When they need school supplies, I give them, my siblings, money for playtime so they can buy. The Uyuni Salt Flats in southern Bolivia is one of the Andean country's top tourist attractions, but the pandemic has hit locals hard. With the pandemic, we were in crisis. We didn't even have enough money to eat. We had small savings and they ran out. We have dedicated ourselves to working in tourism as a family. Our children help us to take photos. 2,000 Bolivian tourism operators nationwide are pushing the government to relax restrictions on international tourism. The Bolivian Chamber of Hotels and Tourism says the pandemic has cut tourism in the country by 90%. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Great story. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. You can still catch NTD Evening News, though. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.